Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 16th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, the latest on the Harvey Weinstein scandal. We're going to be talking about Mindhunter Season 2, The New Mutants, uh, Avatar sequel casting, and the possibility of an all-female Marvel superhero movie. And uh, before that, we'll be going into the water cooler and talking about a bunch of personal stuff, what we've been up to. Joining me on today's show is Slash Film writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Slash Film managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Guys, what have you been up to over this weekend? Um, so I finally got my movie pass after signing up more than a month and a half ago, I think. And I just received it today, uh, which I had wish I received it earlier because I went to see a lovely movie last week called The Florida Project. Um, it's directed by the same director who directed Tangerine. And it's about these... Um, these Actually, before you go any further, I, I have my movie pass. Um, my girlfriend <sighs> Ketcher ordered it the first week and she finally got hers this past week. And uh, last week I was like, you know, let's go see the Florida Project. It's out in L.A. Let's go see it. Um, and I look up on the MoviePass app and the Florida Project is not playing at any theaters that MoviePass <sighs> supports. It's playing at the Arclight in, in Hollywood, which uh, does not support MoviePass. So we actually made the decision to wait <laughs> for the Florida mm-hmm. Project to expand before seeing it. So MoviePass... I'm not sure if it helps or deter. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's changing my de- my movie making decisions. Yeah, I guess it doesn't ex- it doesn't uh, apply to a lot of the smaller theaters that would um, feature movies like The Florida Project, for example. So now, now that I'm thinking about it, I probably wouldn't have used it if I had received it last week. Um, so I don't know. That's interesting. It's an interesting uh, perspective. So, so w- what did you think, or what is The Florida Project, and what did you think of it? Uh, so the Florida Project is directed by Sean Baker, and it's about the sort of life on the periphery of uh, Disney World in Florida, about these children um, 
led by six-year-old Mooney, who's played by Brooklyn Prince, uh, who kind of live in these sort of slum-like conditions in the motels that surround Disney World. And um, the perspective is mostly from uh, Mooney, who just kind of lives life day to day. And it really reflects that because it is very much a slice of life really joyful film for the first two thirds when we're just kind of embedded in Mooney's um, life. And although you see there's lots of danger and a lot of trouble with her uh, struggling mom and the uh, conditions of the motel, you really get a joy and um, the sort of effervescence from the movie throughout. And it's kind of, it really hits you at the end then because uh, there's just sort of, um, there's a, it definitely get, becomes incredibly emotional. I won't spoil it, but it those uh, real-life circumstances finally catch up, I guess that you would say, with uh, Mooney and with her family. And she's kind of living in this sort of uh, fantasy land in the periphery of Disney World, but now um, she can't escape from that. So it's it's incredibly sad. It made me feel both alive and dead at the end of the film. I so want to see that movie so bad. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw that guy's first film at Sundance a couple years back, and it, it kind of blew me away. And especially after the film, he came out and he was like, by the way, I shot this on an iPhone. And it was like, you know, it wasn't something they advertised going into it, and that was kind of shocking. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see this. Uh, Jacob, what have you been up to this weekend? You've had a busy weekend. So as... Listeners may remember, or readers of the Water Cooler column on the site, or people who are unfortunate enough to follow me on Twitter, I've been moving, and I've been moving for a while now because my apartment lease ran out as my house closing date was extended. So I've been in limbo, living with family, but we finally moved into the new house. Uh, I have a lawn, and I have a sprinkler system, and I have an air conditioner, and all things I have to take care of now, but it, it's, it's really Really good feeling. Homeownership, like at this point, feels really good. It's my first time living on my own in a house as opposed to living in an apartment. We have my wife. We just got a a new dog named Carl. So we have uh, Jack and Carl, our dogs, and fed our cat, all living in a house. It's it's a really really cool feeling. And we're still really busy. We're still painting walls. We're still unloading boxes. We're still waiting for furniture to be delivered. But, uh. I really feel like I've made the right decision. I mean, I thought I'd be panicking at this point about mortgages and about all the things to take care of and learning how to run a sprinkler system. But I feel weirdly calm about it in a way that I wasn't expecting. I, I don't know. My wife and I always joke about how you never feel like you're an adult ever. You, it's just a realization that you're doing adult things. And I feel like this is my adult moment where I finally realize that, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace no longer being a child. I'm having all these big thoughts about this. I'm curious if you guys have those thoughts at all, even even as people who don't necessarily own homes. Um, well, I don't own a home, but I am. I do have a mortgage on a condo, and I'm going to be paying that off for the next 20-something years. Um, and yeah, it is a weird feeling to have. It's a weird... Because I don't feel like an adult, but I, I guess I am an adult <laughs> age-wise for sure. Um but uh, yeah, it, it's 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 strange, and it's also weird that it's owning something as big as a house or an apartment or whatever, and uh, it's not like it's weird because I feel like when you're a kid, you're like when I get a when I finally get a car, 
I'm going to like put bumper stickers and whatever. I'm going to do all the stuff to the car. I'm going to tint it and whatever. Then you finally get a car and you're like, I, I can't mess this up because I got to resell it. And it's the, same, it's the same thing with the house. It's like when I was a kid, I was like, you know, I'm going to have this room and this thing and I'm going to do this and have this, you know, hidden door with a bookshelf and, you know, all that stuff. And then you realize, like, no one's going to buy the place if you ever want to sell it. If you, if you do this stuff to it so it's almost like you don't own it but yeah unless yeah. you turn it into some crazy hobbit hole that becomes incredibly popular yeah well and also it's been funny because in my free time my um playstation 4 is still in storage so i can't watch blu-rays uh i can't play other games but i have my nintendo switch so i've been playing stardew valley in my spare time when i have when i have free time and for those of you who don't know, Stardew Valley is a game that came out last year for PC. Uh, it is on Nintendo Switch now for $15. If you played Harvest Moon back in the day, it's similar to that. You, it's literally a game where you build a house and build a farm and go about creating a help, a healthy domestic lifestyle. So I'll take a, I'm taking breaks from my actual house to build my fake house and work very hard in my fake house. So it's... <laughs> That's what I'm doing. It's actually a really relaxing, fun, sweet game that's um, full of personality and has like these old, old school sprite graphics that are really charming. And I find it very zen-like. I find going around my farmland and watering my crops and walking into town to buy more seeds and chatting with a shopkeeper and opening up additional storylines that are about making friends and exploring the town and building a chicken coop. Um I don't know what this is about me, but I'm finding this while I'm doing my own domestic <laughs> transition. I'm really enjoying my fictional domestic transition in this game. It's really good. And if you want to, I want a video game that's a change of pace from shooting things. And I love shooting things in video games. This is a really, really good, strong game. It's really worth your money. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend has been playing that. I have not uh, tried it out. Uh, we should mention that... Uh, we are still trying to figure out the internet situation in your new home, so you may hear some little breaking up. Uh, we tried to work through this uh, before we started recording, but we were unable to figure it out. We, we will figure it out in future editions of this podcast, but uh, so, so don't don't get too annoyed by it. Um, we, we we will figure it out. What I have been up to this past weekend is I went to Palm Springs uh, with my girlfriend Kitra. And we, to see a dog, we've been looking for a, a second dog for a while now. Uh, we, we, you know, tried to, to go the shelter route. Uh, she kind of wanted a Pomeranian, so we've been looking for a Pomeranian. Uh, we have adopted a Pomeranian named Gizmo, or we named Gizmo. Um, and he is eight uh, weeks old. He's the most adorable Pomeranian ever. But right now he is in his crate, locked in a bathroom on the second floor of my condo, screaming <laughs> because oh. he, he, he can't. Gizmo. <laughs> yeah, because uh, otherwise you could hear him on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a while since I've trained a puppy, and uh, it's kind of scary and kind of. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm only in the first. You know, days of this, but uh, you know, it, it, Jacob, you you have a new dog too. How how is training going? Oh, training is non-existent right now. I guess the full story is that we didn't mean to get a new house and a new dog in the same week, 
but we've been looking at this dog at a rescue for weeks, and the foster's been very generous to hold on to him for longer and longer and longer. And then the foster said, we're going on vacation. We should come get this dog. So we moved with the new dog. We have a we previously had a dog named we have a dog named Jack, who is a uh, Shiba Inu rat terrier mix, and Carl mm. is a uh, basset hound, and depending on who you talk to, a beagle or Springer spaniel mix. And he's a year old, and he's very rambunctious and very loud, and he's a uh, likes to he's not destructive. Like when Jack was a puppy, he would tear things up and destroy things. Carl likes to um, carry things around. He'll pick up your shoe and take it to another room, and he'll <laughs> drag a blanket off the bed and just carry it around with him like, like it's his toy. And it's really interesting because we haven't really started training yet, but we're trying to teach him the rules and what he can and can't do. And last night's ordeal was you do not eat people food. You leave us alone while we eat our dinner. And he was very sad when we had to um, tell him no repeatedly until he didn't get food. So right now, nothing formal. We're kind of getting to the house right now, but so far it's been... I think he's older than Gizmo. He's, he's a little under a year. but So Gizmo is like a tiny baby thing, whereas uh, Carl is uh, at, at least been around people a lot longer, I think. So he's a bit of an easier train. Yeah, Gizmo doesn't understand the concept of no <laughs> yet or <laughs> anything else. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because, I, you know, I, I Google a lot of questions about training and it seems like all the answers are not the answers that are relevant to my situation or either that or aren't working so it's a little frustrating uh gizmo likes to cry through the night which i've gotten only a few hours of sleep last night uh and we don't want to put gizmo on the bed because he's like a pound he's like really tiny really small and uh we'd worried we'd be worried that he would get knocked off the bed and we we want to train him in a crate like you're supposed to but uh i don't know what we'll the what we'll the see how this goes because um right right now it's it's a big learning experience on our part um uh, but we should get into the in, into the movie news because people aren't here to hear about dogs and houses and uh, all that kind of stuff. They they want to hear about movies. Um, let's start off with uh, before we actually get to movies. Let's start off about something that isn't about movies necessarily. <laughs> let's talk about Harvey Weinstein. W- what is the yeah. update on Harvey Weinstein? Ht. So I've been on the Harvey Weinstein beat. Um, he has recently been expelled from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences uh, following the scathing reports from uh, New York Times and The New Yorker about his history of sexual harassment and sexual assault against more than 20 women at this point. The list is growing as more women uh, actresses and writers are coming out of the woodwork to um, speak about their alleged assault and or alleged harassment. Um, so he um, last week was uh, fired from his position at the Weinstein Company, which is currently undergoing a um, rebranding, attempting to change its name from the Weinstein Company. Uh, so now Weinstein has been knocked down another peg after his uh, ousting from uh, his membership of at the Motion Picture Academy, which is the academy behind the Oscars, the Academy Awards. Um, and this is a significant, particularly because he was a huge figure during the awards race um, for the past decade. Uh, he was kind of known as sort of the, the master of the awards race. Whatever movie he backed would often go on to critical and um, commercial and awards success. But um, 
So this is uh, the Academy taking sort of unprecedented steps against Weinstein. So the Academy released a statement following Weinstein's expulsions, quote, we do so not simply to separate ourselves from someone who do, does not merit the respect of his colleagues, but also to send a message that the era of willful, willful ignorance and shameful complicity in sexually predatory behavior and workplace harassment in our industry is over, um, end quote. So this is a significant move because Weinstein is the only the second uh, member to be expelled from the uh, Academy. The first was uh, Carmine Caridi, who was an actor who violated the Academy's policy of loaning out awards season screeners, and those screeners end up online. Um, so this kind of calls into question uh, whether this sets precedent for other similarly polarizing pick figures like um, Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski, who both had cases of sexual assault that went to court. Uh, Roman Polanski is currently in self-exile in Europe after fleeing charges from over 30 years ago of um, the rape of a 13-year-old girl. So this is um, it's a big move for the Academy. And uh, you know more accusers have been emerging, too, for um, uh, the Harvey Weinstein case. Um, there was recently a woman who... Uh, alleged that she that Weinstein exposed her, himself to her uh, when she was an intern at his first film, The Burning, in 1980, which makes her case the oldest case of Weinstein's alleged behavior. Uh, so it goes back over like about 30 years now. And uh, the list includes more than 20, I think 24, 25 women. Um, and uh, what else in the how, updates? How, how can how can Harvey Weinstein, who still claims that, you know, none of this has happened, say that with a straight face? You know, <sighs> when when facing twenty something accusations, it just seems crazy to me. It's because for the past three decades, he has profited and flourished in the system, which has enabled him and perpetuated the system, perpetuated this uh, environment of, you know men in power, being able to abuse that power and uh, sexually abuse or sexually harass women. And it's something that's almost expected in the industry. And um, that's why, as of now, he's kind of, he's basically in um, uh, rejecting all of these claims and uh, threatening to sue the New York Times, for example, for the report. Although his legal team is also quickly falling apart as well. So it's it's not looking good for Weinstein, which is um, a hopefully going to set an example for other um, renowned predators or sexual abusers, allegedly, uh, who are still people of influence in this industry. Um, it's it is somewhat encouraging that Hollywood is taking action against Weinstein, but it is very upsetting that it's taken so long. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ask me it, it, it's we should be looking at a, a bunch of these people around him I know his brother Bob Weinstein has come out against him but mm -hmm. like the, you know he's a member of the board I, there's no way that that board didn't know about some of the stuff and I think yeah. some there is some evidence that they they knew about some of the stuff or some of these accusations and it just seems like uh, we should also, while while we're all uh, ganging up on Harvey Weinstein, we should also be considering these people that enabled him and helped enable him in this in this industry. Um, I think we should look at the enablers, but we should also not immediately jump to blaming women immediately because uh, there's a lot of um, 
people criticizing. Well, I, I was not suggesting that. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say, like, clarify that because there's a lot of talk about why are, why have these women kept silent for so long? Uh, why uh, are the, the women who, you know, have worked with Weinstein, um, like they heard these rumors, why did they not say anything till now? You know, it was because of this really powerful system that was in place that, like I said, enabled Weinstein and that enabled him to threaten or coerce these women or, you know, people were afraid of lawsuits like Weinstein is currently um, gathering up his legal power, but that's falling apart, like I said. So it's it's a complicated situation and you don't want to you don't want to go out and outrightly blame like the women you know who who were victimized and who may have uh known about this but didn't um say anything but yes the enablers should be should be looked at as um part of this whole the weinstein scandal yeah uh moving on this past friday netflix released uh, the first season of Mindhunter, uh, four episodes are directed by David Fincher. It's a series that uh, follows some FBI agents uh, and kind of their investigation of serial murders. And um, I saw the first couple episodes. I should have mentioned this in the water cooler. I saw the first couple episodes over the weekend, and it's it's very good. I would suggest if you're watching it, watch it to the end of uh, the second episode. I feel like. It doesn't get it. David Fincher does this often, too. I think the first two episodes of um, House of Cards were kind of like this. It's kind of built as like almost a two hour movie, but they're presented as two episodes. And I feel like it, you kind of need to get to the end of the second episode to kind of see what this thing is going to be about, if that makes sense, and kind of be fully hooked. Um, Jacob, you're at this article for Slashfilm.com about this. They're already talking about a season two of this series. What do we know? Uh, well, what we know is from a interview with Billboard uh, from series composer Jason Hill and David Fincher himself. And what's really interesting is that while discussing the music and the musical influences of the show, this little nugget dropped out where they say, next year we're looking at the Atlanta child murderers. So we have a lot more African-American music, which will be nice. The music will evolve and it keeps on going on and on, but leaves that there. That's the first indication anywhere that we've seen uh, of what's going to happen in season two. And what's especially interesting about this is that the character played by Jonathan Groff on the series, Holden Ford, he was created for the show. He's a fictional character, but he is loosely based on a real FBI agent and uh, named John E. Douglas, who is the father of modern criminal profiling. He's inspired a lot of other FBI agent characters throughout movies and TV. Uh, and the real John E. Douglas was involved in th these murders, which occurred from 1979 through 1981, and which uh, saw the murder of 28 uh, children, young people, and a few adults. And the 28 is the low end number. The, some people say there could be even more. But it's a really awful story. It's a horrifying story of of the city of Atlanta being gripped with fear because someone was killing their children. It was, was focusing on killing young black kids and it was it's a um it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a rough stuff but it's also the kind of material you would expect from this show which is dealing in rough stuff i haven't watched it yet but our own chris evangelista wrote a really good very long spoiler review where he went into great detail about the show and i read that before because it's my job so i kind of have a, a loose idea of what the show feels like um but it, it, these events took place in 1979 
or started 1979, which is two years after the first season begins. And it feels like the next logical choice. Like, if you're going to loosely follow this, this real guy or a character based on a real guy as he investigates and interviews and learns about real serial killers, you would, this would be the next natural step, especially since, without going to spoilers, because reality is a spoiler in this case, the FBI censored uh, or censored um, the real FBI agent. Uh, following this case for some misconduct, which should hopefully make for some interesting drama. And I feel like this this, this show feels like Netflix Netflix algorithm at work. You have David Fincher, thriller, and true crime all mixed together in a way that if I wasn't if I wasn't moving into a house this past weekend, I would have watched the show. This feels like it was engineered to be binge watched on Netflix. No, it, it's a very good show. I don't like the the main actor that plays the main character, but uh, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to continue to watch it this week. I'll probably watch the whole series this week. Venture directed the first two episodes and I think the last two episodes, and there's some good directors in in between. Yeah, in between there. Uh, also in the news, uh, the new mutants uh, is Fox's new X Men universe film. The trailer came out last week and uh, kind of shocked some people because it's a, it's actually a superhero horror film. Um, we now know that there's that this is going to be the first in a trilogy of X-Men horror movies. HT, what do we know? Yeah, so Josh Boone uh, debuted the trailer for his movie last week, uh, New Mutants, and he revealed that he originally pitched uh, to 20th Century Fox a trilogy of New Mutants movies with each film reflecting a different subgenre of horror. So he called this, um, this first New Mutants movie the rubber reality supernatural horror movie, uh, to quote him. And so he says the next one will be a different kind of horror movie, and so will the next one. Um, so he says that um, he wants to examine the horror genre through the comic book genre and make each one a distinct horror film, which I think works uh, when you have a superhero movie that takes a genre and, and uh, utilizes it to sort of create a sort of melding of both uh it works with um marvel movies too you see it with uh captain america winter soldier and sort of the spy thriller or you see it with ant-man and uh, the heist movie and i think this is something that hasn't been done before really with a superhero movie so it will definitely be really interesting to see if he can pull off a trilogy of um such kind of horror films what what did did you watch the trailer for this hd I did watch the trailer. What, what are it, your um, thoughts on this? I I thought it was really intriguing. I thought like um, they really tapped into sort of the current uh, sort of high horror zeitgeist that's going on uh, with uh, Stranger Things style, sort of Nightmare on Elm Street inspired imagery, as well as that uh, surreal, anecdotal kind of um, horror film that's become incredibly popular these days. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that they're doing it from the perspective of these kids not knowing that their powers are actually causing all this horrifying imagery and horrifying things to happen to them. And they're just playing it basically as a straight horror film and then perhaps with, like, a mutant reveal at the end. Um, it's interesting because I hear it all the time. People are like, oh, I'm getting over comic book movies. I'm getting over these superhero films. And I think as long as the superhero movie genre continues to evolve into other genres, 
it's going to continue to be interesting and continue to be part of this zeitgeist because, uh, you know, we haven't really seen a horror superhero movie yet. Mm-hmm. We, we've seen horror comic book adaptations, but uh, not really a horror superhero. Film. Oh, I guess maybe Hell- Hellboy, I guess. Well, the new Hellboy, but yeah. definitely not Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. That was yeah. more fantasy based. Yeah, it's actually interesting because the Hellboy comics are very much horror. They are very much rooted in classic gothic horror. And Del Toro took them in a, a very strong, fancy direction. And the stories that would be believed, uh, Hellboy creator Mike Mignola wasn't always happy with how fantastical and light uh, the Hellboy movies were. So I, I, it's interesting to see between New Mutants and Hellboy some horror being injected into the genre on the big screen. Also in the news, uh, we've been hearing a lot about the Avatar sequels that are in production. Uh, they have; it has been confirmed that they're bringing back one of the villains from the first film. Jacob, what do we know? What we know is that uh, Giovanni Ribisi is returning for the Avatar sequels, or uh, at least the first one. Um, the, all we know is that his character, uh, his name is Parker Selfridge. Who you probably don't remember that. You may remember that he was the head of the big organization on Pandora, head of the mining operation, the suit, who his job was to talk about obtainium, type in crunch numbers, and look all small next to Stephen Lang's actual villain. And he was sort of like the... It's kind of the exposition. Uh, yeah, the exposition, the sort of um, cor- greedy corporate guy, the uh, the Burke, if you remember, if you remember um, Burke from Aliens. He was essentially that character, but in Avatar. And... He survives the movie. He, he's exiled off the moon of Pandora with all the rest of the humans who aren't uh, friendly to the Navi. But what I find really interesting about this news is that every single character is returning from the first movie. Everyone who, who, everyone who lived and everybody who died. It's, it's like this mass reunion of characters whose names I don't remember. <laughs> There's all, <laughs> these, all these people who have to... Like, who is that? Like, I have to Google who he is. Like, I remember Giovanni Ravisi was, was in Avatar. But in my memory, he played a good guy. So I didn't even remember <laughs> he was in it, honestly. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I guess he was. So I, I, so when, I didn't read this article. Uh, Chris Evangelista did. So when I was reading this article, I talked about it on this, uh, on this episode. Uh, I said, he played a villain? Really? I had to go look it up. I know we, we make a lot of jokes about how forgettable Avatar is, you know, how it hasn't like stuck around in pop culture. And we've taken some heat for that. People have gotten mad at us for being snarky about Avatar. But I, I do like that first movie. And Giovanni Ribisi is a good enough actor. I just really hope that James Cameron is going to come make me shut my mouth. Because that's what James Cameron does. He he absorbs your criticism and then makes you shut your mouth with a movie. And I'm really hoping that he's prepared to do that again. Because I'm, I have lots of really bad snarky Avatar 2 jokes. And I have them all saved up. And I'm waiting to use them. But I'm also happy that James Cameron just bludgeoned me over the head and told me to shut up. Nothing makes me happier than James Cameron proving me wrong. Do you think that there is, I mean, James Cameron obviously is the master of making sequels that are better than the original. And, uh, but do you think, like, I feel like the zeitgeist around Avatar as a franchise is that it's kind of ridiculed. And even if, do you think if even these sequels, these sequels are good, that the public at large will accept them without mockery? I think if they're good, 20th Century Fox will, will make the public accept them. I think that if, if, if the people putting the money behind these movies says, these are actually good, these actually do 
kill all the jokes. You actually do justify whatever hype. I think the public will embrace it. And I think that it's going to be a matter of, of how well they sell and how well they say, hey, remember when you paid 3D ticket prices in 2009 to go see Avatar and how blown away you were that you forgot about it? Well, here's your old friend back from the dead. Say hi. And uh, and I think that if James Cameron delivers a good movie, and I'm James Cameron does not make bad movies. I think Avatar is one of the weaker movies, but I still like it. Uh, I think the public will be ready to be there as long as it's good. I think the question is, keep on saying what if it's not good, but James Cameron, even if even with his weaker movies like True Lies, is still a, a really fun movie. And even his very first movie, Piranha 2, is a movie I find fun to talk about, even though it's a B-movie disaster. He's just a guy who I don't want to count him out. Even when he's saying dumb, stupid crap about Wonder Woman, and you want him to, and you want him to shut his mouth so badly, uh, I feel like I will never bet against him. I will make dumb jokes and make dumb headlines and piss off the occasional Avatar fan who lurks out there in our comment section. Wait, they but exist? I, <laughs> we, there are we a lot this. more of them than I thought. We, we, we learned this when we made a joke, when we wrote a joke headline about whatever the headline was, but I was thinking about not caring about Avatar 2. And people got mad at us in a way that wasn't surprising, in a way I found surprising. So I don't know. People out, I get people are out there, and I guess somebody's going to go visit the world of Pandora at Disney World. Somebody's going to go see those attractions. Okay, lastly in the news, you mentioned James Cameron talking about uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, everybody has fun all up in arms at Marvel and their lack of a female superhero movie. Uh, now there's word that there might be an all-female Marvel superhero movie in the works. HT, what do we know? Is, is it real? Does, wa- does, does dry land exist? Well, there's been no real release date. But Kevin Feige said yes when asked a question about it. So here's the story. Uh, Thor Ragnarok actress Tessa Thompson, who plays Valkyrie in uh, the new Thor movie and is apparently a scene stealer. I haven't seen Thor yet, so I can't say. Uh, She told a story about how she demanded an all-female Marvel superhero movie from Kevin Feige. And he said yes. So here's the quote. Recently, I marched up with a couple of other women that work in Marvel and we went to Kevin. What about a movie with some female superheroes? Like all of them. Um, and then Kevin, Kevin Feige jumped in to reveal, it was a pretty amazing moment to be somewhere and have your shoulder get tapped and turn around every female hero we have is standing there going, how about it? And I said, yes. So that's all we have for now. But uh, it's more than nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems and- like he's been promising stuff forever. Like we've heard of, you know, about a potential Black Widow movie for what? five years seven years now yeah ever since black widow was introduced in iron man 2 we've been hankering for a female-led uh marvel superhero movie and kevin feige has said someday maybe probably not uh over the years and we're finally going to get our first female-led uh marvel movie with captain marvel in 2019 um but it would be and technically ant-man and the wasp has a female superhero in the title Yes, co-lead. Um, but it would make up for a lot of uh, Marvel's transgressions if they were to give all of their great female superheroes, and they have fantastic characters and fantastic female characters in the Marvel Universe, and just put them in the spotlight. Um, so 
the story I didn't write, but um, Ben Pearson did, uh, talked about how there is a precedent for an all-female team in the Marvel comics, and that's the Lady Liberators, uh, which originally consisted of Black Widow, the Wasp, Scarlet Witch, Medusa, and Valkyrie. Uh, so presumably we wouldn't have Medusa because she's not introduced in our cinematic universe, but we would probably have um, Black Widow um, and the Wasp, Scarlet Witch, Gamora, Nebula, Mantis, and uh, maybe Maria Hill, uh, but whoever survives through Infinity War, of course. So it it would be amazing. It would be um, it would make up for a lot of this like the white the white superheroes named Chris who are leading every Marvel superhero movie. So I, I would forgive a lot of Marvel's uh, sins if they did that. I think it would be really cool to see a, you know, in all intents and purposes, a female Avengers movie on the big screen. And I, I know DC's work, you know, that working on wonder woman too. They're working on Batgirl with Joss Whedon. Uh, but they're a long way from having something like that. And this is something I think that Marvel wasn't, could innovate with. Wasn't there talk of the Gotham City Sirens? Yes, there was, which may or may not be out of development. We don't know. It wasn't listed oh. at Comic-Con. But yeah, I, I guess you're right. So they are working on something like that. So, <laughs> so you were right. Uh, but I don't think that would be – I still don't think that would be on the level of this because we've seen these uh, super-powered women – through you know what is it like 22 23 films or something so far and to see them team up and come together is going to be more than just seeing you know harley quinn who was in one film you know what i mean like it, it, it's, right. going, it's going to feel grander and more epic i think when it finally happens if it happens which we don't yeah. i do want to oh i do want to point out uh that there are a few other female teams that if they wanted to make a movie, they could latch on to. There is the uh, the Fearless Defenders from a few years ago. The Defenders already exists as a TV show, so they probably won't use this title, but it was um, a team led by Valkyrie, who's now debuting in Thor Ragnarok, and Misty Knight, who's actually in TV, or Netflix's Luke Cage, uh, leading a all-female team. There's also, uh, from a few years ago, A-Force, which is an Avengers team that kind of spun out of an alternate universe tale, so it's really kind of hard to explain quickly. But it was this uh, massive team of every single female uh, superhero, uh, like She-Hulk, Medusa, um, Spider-Woman, uh, everybody. So it is – I feel like if, if they ever did make an all-female Avengers movie or all-female Marvel movie, I think A-Force may be the title we see on that because it's, it's recent. Mm. They could use that title. There's an Avengers connection, like, even though it's just a letter A. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this does come together because Kevin Feige is really good at talking. He, he loves talking and he's good at it. And he says things you want to hear. And we say, yeah, good on you. And then he, we say two years later, what was that thing you, you promised two years ago? And we, he says, oh, yeah, it's still coming. And we say, yeah, okay. It happens <laughs> every, every few years with him. But if this does happen and we do see women come together, I would, I'll put $5 down on it being called A-Force. That that does sound like it could be the plan. It, it should be noted that Marvel has their films planned out for the next like fifteen years or something insane like that. They have a board uh, at Marvel, so uh, you know locking them, getting getting some. It may have taken this long to get get up to that point. We don't know really anything after Avengers four, which is still untitled. Uh, probably because the events of Infinity War, I think, is going to drastically change the Marvel Universe, and we don't really know what's coming. And I'm, I'm sure something like A-Force, you, you mentioned that came from an alternate universe or something? 
that maybe that could happen in this Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think I think we're going to see some universes changing quite a bit. I would love to see Young Avengers. What if all the expensive Avengers die? Uh, Chris Hemsworth, Rob Downey Jr., Chris Evans, they all fulfill their contracts and leave, leaving behind all the women to take over the Avengers roster and the Young Avengers spring up and they have two different teams. How is that, how is that HD? How do you feel about that? Yeah, Kate Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be awesome. I, I would like to see that. Uh, well, we have run out of time on today's podcast. Uh, HT, where can we find more of your work online? So you can find me at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at HTranBui, and I have a podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast, on iTunes. Jacob, where can we find more of you? I am on SlashFilm.com every single day, except the days where I am moving to my house. <laughs> uh, and you can find me uh, in all these stories at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at SlashFilm. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please go subscribe. Please go rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us out quite a bit. Tell your friends on Facebook, Twitter, whatever your social media is of choice. If you're still on LiveJournal, write a post on LiveJournal. And spread the word because that helps us out. And uh, we are getting all your emails in the mailbag, which you can send them to peter at slashfilm.com. We will get to them, or we'll get to some of them eventually uh, when when news dies down. but uh, I just wanted to say thank you for all the, the words of support that you have sent us. I have shared uh, most of it with the team, and uh, we, we love it and we appreciate it. And we will see you tomorrow.